Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, a show where we're elevating the voices of black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. We're your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen. This podcast is sponsored by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, or NCWIT. NCWIT is a nonprofit organization that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase participation of all women in the field of computing. Kyla and I are representatives of the Institute for African American Mentoring and Computing Sciences, or IMCS, which serves as a national resource for Black and African American students, faculty, and industry professionals in computing. Special thanks goes to our listeners who contribute to the podcast by supporting our online store, which you can find at our website, www.modernfigurespodcast.com. All right, today we have an extra special guest with us. We have De'Ara Bryant, and she is a PhD student at Georgia Tech. She studies robotics, like anything that has to do with robots. Robox. Can I? I'm going to say that again because a robot is not a thing. Or should we just leave it? Let's keep it. Robox. All right, Robox. <laughs> about to be a good episode y'all because i'm already starting up talking about robots please don't cry we need your eyelashes to stay on yeah (laughs) rude so all right so hey diara hi i was to finish with her intro okay go ahead So she recently had a TEDx talk about paying it forward with social robots. And we're going to get into what in the world that even means, what all this robotics, intelligence system stuff is that's going on, artificial intelligence. So, hey. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my gosh. I know. You came from so far away. I know. Oh, my gosh. Atlanta. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. So far. Isn't that your favorite airport? Oh, isn't it? Hartsfield-Jackson. Isn't it? In the house. An amazing place. (laughs) (laughs) An amazing place on earth. So you just got back from... An adventure to Colorado. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was just Not on a panel in Colorado at UC Boulder, mm. which was super cool. Never been over in that part of the U.S. before. Very beautiful. I got to hike the Flatirons, which was pretty nice. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. How do you like hiking? I love hiking. I try to go hiking wherever I go. Um, yeah. I went hiking in Hawaii. Whoa! Um, yeah. we she got just throw that trail. in there. I went hiking in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we just do that now. I did that right. actually. <laughs> Not joking. We might have hiked in a similar area because I know that you attended URMD. Yes, that's when I went hiking. Yeah, grad cohort, one of mm-hmm. the events by the Computing Research Association. So yes. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but that's in like Waikoloa. That's where you were in that yes. area. Yeah, I I did that. And I just did hiking not too long ago at the Grand Canyon and some of the national parks. Oh, yeah. I came back, and I wasn't sore, and then I did yard work. (laughs) (laughs) And that that did it. That brought it out. The yard work tried to take me out, (laughs) and I am still sore, and I am so embarrassed. I just don't understand. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, back to you. (laughs) Yeah. Fun fact, we went hiking and we got tired, so we were going to call an Uber back. So we tried to find a quick way to the closest road. (laughs) (laughs) So we went hiking to to a beach. We went hiking to Black Sand Beach, where where they have the black sand. It's a beautiful beach. Mm -hmm. And when we got there. Oh, wait, did you go down? Yes. Into like a little, like, 
area that like opened up into like a. It was like a old volcanic rock everywhere. Oh my god! Oh, I think cool. we were, it was super cool. Yeah. But we we went and it ended up being like a two mile walk. Oh. And like through volcanic rock. It felt like we was walking through sand the oh, entire no, we time. Were in oh, wow. So <laughs> when we got to the beach, we were like, We cannot walk that back. Like we're <laughs> exhausted. So we wanted to call an Uber. We saw some locals that had trucks. Mm-hmm. And we said, Oh, okay, if they got here with trucks, it must be another trail that they drove through. Yeah. They're like, Yeah, it'll take you straight to the road, just follow the arrows on the ground. We followed the arrows. <laughs> <laughs> We're following the arrows on the ground, going back towards the road. Somehow, the arrows started to disappear. They got real, real faint. And granted, it's like, it's flat. So we can see the road. Uh And we're walking towards it, walking towards it. But we clearly aren't on a path anymore. But we we think we can still get there. Like, okay, if we just keep walking, we haven't seen any, like, crazy animals Mm -hmm, yet. mm -hmm. And I'm walking, and me and Vanessa, Vanessa was like, y'all, what is that? And we looked, and we were like, Oh my gosh! So it was an animal. We didn't know what it was. <laughs> like just an animal. <laughs> it was. Right, it, animal. it was. It was a big animal. It had these horns. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> it was. Y'all, these, y'all were for real hiking. Oh right. my gosh! These horns were like curly, and oh we were like, like a ram. I, we we thought it was a goat. Okay. And so Angela, Angela looked at it and she said, "Oh, I'm gonna go take pictures of it." Mm-hmm. So she's walking no. closer to it, taking pictures. We thought it was a goat. And I said, "Angela, it doesn't look like a goat. I, I know it what a goat a looks like. That doesn't. It? it was a ram." And it charged her. Didn't no, it? no, it didn't. Okay. It didn't. It didn't. We were like, "We're not gonna get too close." She it was, was looking at us though. Why it was did she black. take a selfie with down. the ram? We thought it was a goat. It's a great picture. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great picture. And so I we, we thought it was a goat. Like, she said, it's a goat. She seemed to know more about animals than I did. No. I said it has horns. We don't know where <laughs> where we are. We don't have a clear path to a road to get to a car. We can't hear the locals anymore. Did Uber come so, and save you? Yeah, we ended up having to go back to where we started wow. from and then take the right path <laughs> to the road. So taking a shortcut, more little story, taking a shortcut isn't always the best oh, path. Wow. To get to the goal, you know, <laughs> might get charged by a ram. Wow. Yeah, you might get charged by a ram. Hmm. Okay. So, have you always been a hiker? Is that something that you did as a child? No, that is not something I did as a child. If my mom knew I was hiking in Hawaii, she might not actually be too happy about it. But, All right, mom, we're sorry. Oh, sorry. She knows. <laughs> she knows I'm adventurous, so she knows I've been kind of getting out there. But yeah, when I started graduate school, and when I started traveling a lot more. And I was like, what do I want to do in these new places? Like, I'm going to a lot of new cool places. So what's mm-hmm. something I can do? And I went hiking once with like a group. It was like a tour group at one mm-hmm. of like, one of the conferences I went to. I'm like, this is so fun. Like mm-hmm. I love being up in the sky and seeing the views and just taking a breath and enjoying nature. And I was like, I really like this. And then I got into yoga around that same time. And I was like, oh, so Airbnb, the little experiences. Oh, I started no. popping on those. Like, let's do a yoga experience. Let's do a hiking <laughs> experience. So at least I'm not by myself, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. which is safer in my opinion. And Absolutely. You get to see yeah. the reviews and stuff. And so I started doing that. And ever since then, every place I go, I try to either get a yoga experience in or some type of hiking experience. Mm. She said every cool. place you go. Tell these people how much you travel oh. as a grad student. People don't know that having, you know, being in grad school, going to conferences, doing research will get you some sky miles. Yes, <laughs> it definitely will. Especially in computer science, there are so many computer science conferences. And because my research in particular is so 
interdisciplinary. So I'm doing work in robotics. It kind of crosses over with AI and machine learning, sometimes human, human robot interaction, human computer interaction mm -hmm. sometimes. And then I'm gotten into more work on like ethics and AI specifically focused on children. So I've gone to robotics conferences. I've been to some AI conferences, some ethics conferences. Um, most recently I was just in UC Boulder for a panel on explainable AI, which isn't really my area, but it kind of crosses over with some of the stuff I've been doing. So it was cool to see that perspective between law and computer science, because that's a really interesting, um, interesting venue that's yeah. like kind of popped up. So, so, so tell us a little bit about like what it was like for you growing up. Did you have like a passion for robots or for computer science at all? Did your parents or did your mom kind of push that? I did not actually. I had a very, <laughs> very non-traditional um, route to computer science. I grew up in Estill, South Carolina. Shout out to Estill. Put it up, Estill. Okay. Super small town. Go Gators. Oh. Oh, they're Gators oh. too? Okay. Yeah, they're Gators. Okay, go Gators. Right. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So super small town. I graduated with like 68 people. Um, what? Yes. We have one stoplight in town Whoa. Um, at a gas station that sells really, really good fried chicken. Yeah. And potato babies. Yes. Wait, what? That's Esco. potato babies. Potato babies. They're what? they're really potato wedges. Okay, but if you go in and call them potato wedges, they'll know you're a tourist. Wow. <laughs> so, or, I mean, I don't know how visitor. I would end up there, but yes, good to know. Good, good to, to know. know. Okay. So, I Esto, South Carolina, is a small town along this long road that kind of gets you from, um. I, Interstate 95 all the way to like Columbia or whatever. So okay. when people are coming from Savannah and trying to get to like Columbia and they need a detour to get away from the traffic that's on 95, they'll come through this long road that has a lot of small towns hmm. along it. And it's also known as the Corridor of Shame Oh, because oh. it once was this really booming, um, really booming agricultural site. And there was a lot of traffic, big trucks still yeah. come through there a whole lot. But as when a lot of changes happened over mm -hmm. the years, the school systems in these areas really perished, and they were known as some of the worst school systems in South Carolina, wow. in, in, the, in the U.S. Wow. So some schools have had the state come and take over several times. So it's been, it's been known, like you can go on YouTube and type in Quarter of Shame, and you will see documentaries on this long road in South Carolina that has several little small towns that have been impacted by all the changes that have happened in the agricultural um, realm there. So, so there were no robots in the corridor nope, of shame. There were no robots. <laughs> <laughs> there were no robots in the corridor of shame. So my mom is the director of voter registration in Hampton County, which is where I grew up. Um, my dad died when I was 13 in middle school, but oh, wow. he was a mm -hmm. factory worker and he was a farmer so we had i grew up on tractors and stuff we had fields we planted cotton we planted hay so oh, wow. corn did you have cows no we didn't <laughs> i'm you sorry cows, cows are <laughs> cows are my favorite animal oh my god yeah it's a i know it's weird and random but uh -huh. yeah i yeah. love cows i get oh really excited about cows yeah he used to let me um have my own little pumpkin patch every October. Aww. And one year I had the biggest pumpkin patch. And so I got like the front of the newspaper, like <laughs> best pumpkin patch that year. That's awesome. That's, mm -hmm. cute. That's yeah. like so. 
life goals maybe yes (laughs) yeah so not not computer science at all my high school didn't offer computer science um still doesn't offer a direct computer science class without Mm -hmm. taking a dual credit class at university usc Salkahatchee. but so i when i was graduating i was I, i was valedictorian of my high school. You better do it. Oh, and so I, I liked everything, though. I was that person like, <laughs> Me too. oh, I love history. I love well, science. Well, actually, no. I, no, I, I like math and science. Oh. <laughs> I was good at the other things. Okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. any of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and that's okay. It's like, like, high yeah. school is, I was like, this is a waste of time. Can't these kids just read a book? Yeah. <laughs> I was not teen people in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Another story. Yeah. For another day. Yeah. Yeah, so you got into what school? So I got into, this was really Because you were a boss, basically, actually. right? You just yeah. apply everywhere. Every, yeah, but so I my school doesn't have AP, so I didn't have any AP credit. Mm-hmm. I had to pay for a dual credit class at the wow. University of Salkahatchee, mm-hmm. USC Salkahatchee. So I had three hours, which was like English 101. And so... I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, I liked everything. I re- I was I was really good at math. I liked math and I was really good at math. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't taken math my senior year because there wasn't anything left. You for took me all to take. the math. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, it was like yeah. So I didn't take math my senior year, and I was like, I want to do something fun. I want to make money. Or that was my that, my main goal was okay. Let's get to something that's going to make me some money. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was really good at making like invitations. And, like, birthday invitations and, like, flyers for my church and all of these different little graphic-y yeah. type things. Mm-hmm. Like, more, like, print work. I was really good at, like, putting stuff, like, mm-hmm. like not putting stuff together, but, like, paperwork. Like, mm-hmm. making artistic little, like, invitations with, like, bowls That's and fine cool. stones. That's like, Michael's cool. and Hobby Lobby were, were your like, favorite places. Were my favorite yeah. places. So, <laughs> I was really good at that type of stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, when I'm making the invitations, I'm on a computer so that must be computer science, you know? <laughs> we'll just roll with it, yeah. And now, as crazy as I know I sound saying that, that's exactly wow. what I thought it was. That's what I thought computer science, that's what I thought I was getting myself into when I said, wow. okay, I'm going to major in computer science. And That's wow. an incredible story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right. like, very I, cool. She's like, I got this. I'm on a computer. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. And so I got into um, University of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, Clemson, my dream school was UNC Chapel Hill. Ooh. I wanted to go to Chapel Hill. I know mm-hmm. that was a great school. I actually wanted to go to Duke, but I knew I couldn't get into Duke, so I don't I don't even know if I finished the application. Aww. But I was like, I want to go to Chapel Hill. That was my dream school. I got in, and it was too expensive. Yeah. And I couldn't go. Aww. And I was heartbroken. Like, I was like, well... I guess since I'm making this decision off of money, let's go. Who's giving me the most money? Let's go to USC, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, okay, whatever. I'm majoring in computer science at USC. And I got to USC. First day of school was on a Thursday. And so the way those courses were set up, the Thursdays were lab days, and Monday, Wednesday were lecture days. Mm-hmm. So we started on a lab day mm-hmm. before a lecture day. So I got in lab. The first assignment was a Java program that says, make a program that says, hello world. Easy, one of the first easiest mm-hmm. basic things you learn to do. I was like, do you, I didn't have the book or anything yet. I was like, do you want me to type it on Word? 
Like, do you want me to put this really big in Photoshop? Hello, world. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? This is amazing. Right? Uh-huh. Like, no, no idea what, what I had gotten myself into. Like, what is that? You're like, make the computer say, hello, world. I got you. What phone <laughs> you want? What phone? <laughs> right? You, you want, want Calibri? Sense? You want Times New Roman? Like, mm, what size? Verdana. Do you want a shadow? Do you want a shadow? You want this drop oh, shadow yes. 70 degrees to the right? A yes. glow, maybe? Yes. Oh. I can put a print in the text for you. Like I, I was, love it. I was great at that. Mm-hmm. And I had this wonderful TA. And if it had not been for this TA, I don't know if I would have stuck with that class or that major. But Karina Lau, shout out to Karina. Oh, oh Karina. Yes, yes, Karina. yes, yes. She's a professor at Claflin now, but she was a TA when I was a freshman at USC. And she came over and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, boy. <laughs> because there were people in the class who came in, did that program in two Got up seconds. and left. And, mm-hmm. and left, right? Yeah. And I was like. How do they know what they're doing? Like what? Like this is so crazy. And they're like, oh, they took APCS or they took oh, okay, yeah. um this. They've been programming for years. And I'm like, oh, I don't like this is new for me. Like I'm not used to this environment at all. Like my school was ninety nine point nine percent African American. So I'm already dealing with a whole lot of changes mm-hmm, going yeah. from high school to college. And I'm like, yo, what is going on like what have I gotten myself into but Karina was like just just stick with it you know you might you you seem you seem like you're a smart girl so you know just stick with it just give it a chance and she was like get the book you know start reading the book read the book you know pay attention in class and see where it goes you you might find out that you like it and so when I got the book I started I had a great professor that first class too which I think is also so important the the people you get and how much they care that you actually learn mm-hmm. is just so important, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. Um, so I had a great professor. I learned. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. This is kind of interesting. You start to see the, you, those basic first concepts. You see the sequential pro. You see programming from top to bottom, mm-hmm. the if statements, the loops, and it kind of made a whole lot of sense to me. And what I realized. you were great at math, right? Yeah. So it was very similar. Yeah. And I was also taking Calc 1 at the time. So it was definitely a very heavy semester. But shout out to Karina. Karina got me through that semester. She would sit with me sometimes even after lab was over. And she was like, okay, let's go through this program. Do you understand what's actually going on? Mm One time for Karina. Yeah, Yeah, for real. One time for Karina. (laughs) Speaking of Karina. So Karina is actually how. I met you and part of the story of how we all know each other. So Kyla plans for IMCS, a conference called the National Society of Blacks and Computing Conference. Yes. And the first one was in Atlanta, Georgia in 2016. 2016. That's right. And Karina was my roommate. (laughs) and i still have no idea one why i was there because again if you haven't been listening to this podcast i am not a computer scientist (laughs) um but two like to have her be my roommate was really awesome because um our ages are are pretty close and i didn't want to be with a kid a child (laughs) um and i think it's weird anyways to have a stranger roommate but for whatever reason, divine intervention happened and Kyla was like, I'm going to put you with Karina. And (laughs) Karina and I were, we like personality wise, we might be like oil and water, but we get each other. And she is so great. 
So she's like, oh, you have to meet my mentee, Diera. You have to know her. Oh, my gosh. And so she's she still advocates for you today. Oh, my gosh. And talks about her. you like yeah. you are like her first child or something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, shout out to Karina for yes. real. Yeah, shout out to Karina. And to definitely. Kyla for planning this whole situation that got us all in the same room. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. after you kind of found your strides in computer science, what happened? Like, yeah. How did your classes go after that? Like having, you know, because Karina couldn't be your TA in all the classes. No, right? very so. true. Very true. But that first class um, did a whole lot of the basics of computer science. And then from there, I was like, oh, OK, I kind of I, I actually like this and I like it and I'm actually kind of good at it. Mm-hmm. So I, I picked it up. Not to say easily, but definitely going through the book. And I feel like a lot of people want to skip that part in computer science. Mm, I know there are some self-made people out there. I salute the self-made people, but there's nothing like... Stack Overflow. Hashtag Stack Overflow. Figure out these two lines. I don't know how they go together, but somebody said do this line and then that line and then it works. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no. I don't know what any of that means. I started off in Java, and then my second, the second year at USC, you do C plus plus, and so cool. the transition from Java to C plus plus is so much easier when you understand what the what the fundamentals are. Yeah, and I feel like that first year USC did a great job of focusing on those fundamental concepts, knowing what variables are, what they mean, mm-hmm. knowing when to use what type of variable, when to use which type of outsorting algorithm. Or like just the basics, and that really made it easy for me to build on build on top of that knowledge. Also, for people who had been doing CS for a long time before, you learn a lot of shortcuts yep. mm-hmm. over the years. And USC was not about; they were really big on like on on syntax mm-hmm. and structure. And it's hard to do that when you're used to programming a certain way. Right. So mm-hmm. for me, learning from scratch really fit into their the way they set up that yeah, program that's a whole great. lot that's a, whole a good lot point because if you're kind of self-taught you know then you may not have that rigor that those fundamentals and it's hard to break out of that versus having that structure from the very beginning mm-hmm. that's really cool i also learned that i really liked logic mm. and i was really good in like the um the discrete structures type mm-hmm. of math and the truth tables and mm-hmm. like the solving Boolean those out and the Booleans. And I like doing proofs and I was like, I like going from point. So I, I do have a minor in mathematics. And okay, so yeah. that oh, wow. has also really helped along the trek to robotics as well. But after my first semester, Karina invited me to work in her lab and meet, awesome. meet her advisor, Dr. Janae Beer, who is also a great, great champion mentor, mm-hmm. um, and so I started, I was like, what do you do? Like, research. Like, what is research? <laughs> what is like, that? so you just answer questions. You think of questions and you answer them. Find the answers. Like, is that that's what you do? Right. Okay, that's right. Cool. That's just, exactly that's what research right. is. Yeah. So how did you, like, balance being our actual human being while trying to learn all this new stuff in college? Because... I already know you are a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Yes, right. Yes. Had to say the whole thing. That's right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about how you found time to like have a social life and be a computer scientist. I think it had a lot to do with the way I learned to study just from just from growing up, even in Esto, even though 
they didn't have a lot of the more advanced classes and stuff. I still learned great study skills. Like I, I knew what I needed to do. I knew I was the type of person. I'm a pen to paper type person. Everybody would be in class with their laptops open, but I was that person that had pen and paper writing mm. down word for word. So I do, I love physical notes. When I'm reading papers, I have to print them out and I have to pull out my highlighters and I have the colors that mean certain things. So I think knowing the way that I study and the way that I learn best was definitely helpful when um, needing to learn new stuff. I'm also very strict on my schedule, even though I'm not a <laughs> like a time, like a calendar person. What? I usually, I know, it's so weird. I usually <laughs> either, I'll make stuff on my Google calendar in my phone, but mm-hmm. um, for the most part, I keep deadlines running in my head, and it's like, okay, I know this is nope. coming up. I have to do this, this, and that, but yeah. I don't really keep... Uh, even though I probably should. <laughs> I was gonna say I love. I feel like I feel like I try at the school. beginning of every year. Like I'll buy a calendar. I'm like I'm gonna do this this year. I'm gonna buy the pens and make it really colorful and try to keep myself engaged. And then by like January 15th, that's it. It's <laughs> like <laughs> no, I'm the complete opposite. I had to buy a planner, and really? one time in undergrad, I lost my planner and oh almost cried because I'm like, that's my life. Yeah, yeah that's my life. Yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. I, no. I, I have no idea. trivia is like my gift. Mm. And in order to be as detailed as I am, calendars are a must. Calendars, yeah. physical reminders, like post-its and stuff. Reminders on my phone mm-hmm. that aren't part of my calendar. Mm-hmm. Just reminding me to do things that I said I was going to do that are on my calendar that I might have decided to ignore. <laughs> yeah, all of that. And then I oh, tell wow. other people too. Like... Mm. Hey, can you remind me to do yeah. X, wow. Y, and Z? Yeah. But, yeah. You, but you know you learned you. So you learned how you operate mm-hmm. and all of that. And you're successful yeah. at yeah. it. Yeah. I, I felt like like I always tried to do the same type of preparation for every test, for every project, or mm-hmm. whatever. And I knew how much time I needed to set aside for it. And like I knew what strategies. I knew I did note-taking. I knew I did the flashcards mm-hmm. and stuff that I needed to memorize. Um, I, I would like go through my notes again and rewrite my notes again. Um, and as long as I did all of that and I would feel like I was okay, I could go on about doing other stuff. When I joined Theta Gamma Chapter, <laughs> Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated mm-hmm. in undergrad, I was taking statistics. I remember I was taking statistics oh, yeah. at like 8.30 in the morning. Yikes. Oh my gosh. Yikes. I hate 8.30s anyway. It was my mm. first 8.30 since like... We don't do mornings on this side. Ooh, I don't do mornings <laughs> no, anymore unless either. They make me do unless, yeah, unless yeah. I have to. Yeah. But oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't take an 8.30 class now. I'll wait till another semester. Shoot, I gotta <laughs> teach an 8.30 class. I'm like, can someone oh, else my do this? No. Like this time. I'm gonna oh, have to gosh. pray about that one because Lord oh, knows that's gonna gosh. be... A real struggle if that ever happens to me. Did you do any other organizations while you were in school? Yes. So I founded um, Minorities in Computing at USC, or I was one of the one of the co-founders. Nice. But yes, I felt like there was a, a need for a organization for people who were doing some sort of computing and didn't have the the resources to get. Um, to learn all of the things that were very helpful that other people tended to find in their own respective communities. Yeah. So I felt like there was a need for some sort of organization for that. And um, there was a, there was a Nesby, 
But every time I went to Nesby, it was so engineering focused. Mm -hmm. So that's the National Society of Black Engineers. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And so whenever I went to Nesby, I'm like, oh, okay, they're talking about the Nesby Convention. They're talking about this and that and building stuff. And I'm not a builder at all. People, when I say I do robotics, I do not build robots. (laughs) I am not that person. Mm -hmm. I am a computer scientist at heart. I am a programmer. Mm -hmm. So all of the robots in our lab, we get humanoid robots or robots that are available that can be programmed to do really sophisticated, cool things. So Mm -hmm. I'm definitely more of the software side of things. So a lot of the stuff in Nesby wasn't really applicable to me. The conferences they were talking about, I'm like, I don't find that part of CS or CE interesting because it's more the computer engineers would be more interested in that type thing but for me I was like I think (laughs) we need an organization I had so many people that would come and ask me stuff because even in undergrad when I was working in Karina's lab Mm -hmm. I got exposed to research really early like freshman sophomore year and I started working on her lab working with the now robot then and I was help I was working with her on papers I was doing um Oh, we should have brought a robot. Oh, yeah. Aw. Anyways, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I was working with her on research papers. I was going out to the schools collecting data and analyzing data and helping her on papers. I was on publications with her, like, sophomore, junior year. That's so cool. And so I was – but so many people were – and then I was going with her to, like, Nesbic and some of the Mm – I went to ICRA as as a sophomore – and it was like, which is one of the huge robotics conferences. Okay. Cool. And it was like, okay, people were asking me, how 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 are you doing this yeah. stuff? And it's like, well, you know, I met Karina, and when you meet these people who are in these places, and she introduced me to this person who invited me here and who told me about this conference and about this travel grant oh, wow. for undergrads and about doing research in the summer mm-hmm. instead of just doing a regular summer internship. You can also do a kind of research internship which are often called um, REUs or research, research experiences for undergrads, and oh. which which I did at Georgia Tech, and that's what kind of led me back to Georgia Tech. Mm. So that experience itself was also really good. But knowing these little like just things that are yeah. very like if you don't really have somebody to kind of push you in that direction, it's kind of yeah. hard to know those things and about these conferences and these travel grants and these opportunities that are out there. But I was like, I have people asking me this stuff, and I can give this information, but I feel like we need a more formal process. So it started off as just like a group message and Mm -hmm. people asking me questions about classes I had already taken and stuff because there weren't really many older people in CS that I could really go to Mm -hmm. and ask questions, but there were people that were like following me in the pipeline, and I was like, yeah, I can help you with this class, or I know somebody else who's – who took that class, who can help you with that class. So That's awesome. That, that is you really cool. We're able to do that. And yep. so now you're in grad school. Yes. Still studying about robots. Yes. <laughs> Super, okay. Yeah, what's it like being a <laughs> grad student at Georgia Tech? Like, oh, yeah. Ooh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask that a bit different way. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what, what is grad school life like? How is okay. it different from being an undergraduate student? Okay, so grad school is, for for CS, has been very different for me. The type of work I've been doing is different, um, and the the techniques I'm using to get through are different. So in undergrad, it was more, I need to pass these classes. That was (laughs) my main goal, to get as best a grade in the class as you can, right, and try to manage all the other stuff that you're doing, too. Uh And now it's more like, 
just pass the class and focus on your research. <laughs> yeah. And like like research is top priority. Okay. It's like do whatever you got to do to get through the class mm-hmm. and focus on your research. And when I first got there, my first semester, that was so hard for me to understand. I'm like, wait. So my whole life, I have been learning to pass a class. Get an A. Yeah. To get an A. Yep. And now you don't want me to necessarily do that? Like, what? What? Like, I'm like, that's weird. Now the focus is learn what you need to apply to apply right. to the work that you're doing outside yes. of the classes. Yes. And you still want, you still need to do good to in the classes. Yeah. 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 You still have to have maintain at Georgia Tech. You have to maintain a certain type of GPA in order for the classes to count anyway. Yep. So you mm-hmm. still technically need to do as best you can in the classes, but it shouldn't interfere with you, your quality of research work. Mm, yeah. So I never understood that because they were famous for telling you, like, oh, yeah, classes don't matter. I'm like, but you got a minimum GPA for this PhD program. So <laughs> yes. clearly classes matter. Yeah, yes. you better get the grade. Yeah. Yes. That's one of the ways that people don't make it through graduate school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They spend too much time focusing on everything else. Yes. And at Georgia Tech, the way they structure their classes is a lot different. Many of the classes have a flipped flipped classroom oh, awesome. style mm-hmm. yeah so you watch the you're like yeah you watch the videos <laughs> <laughs> you watch the videos online either the day before or a couple of days before and then when you get to class you just ask questions or mm-hmm. they talk about examples or go through problems which mm-hmm. at first i was like i don't know if i like this it's a like, tough transition like, this, yeah. this is weird i'm used to professors getting in classes going through lectures and granted some of the classes are still structured like that but the more of the main like the ai class the um, machine learning class, all of those classes that I took were mainly flipped. You watch the videos so online. Cool. I would cry. But yeah. As I was studying recently as I was studying for quals and stuff and I was going back through a lot of my work then, it was so helpful yeah. to mm-hmm. go back and watch those videos. Because again. it's all there. And, oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And because they're also broken up into sections. So, so no video is more than like relevant. five. Yes. So you can say, okay, I remember this video. I feel like what I'm looking for is in there. Mm-hmm. And I remember that one. I can skip over that one. So it's no longer me scrolling through an hour long YouTube video looking oh, that's for a good. specific clip. It's like, mm-hmm. and then they're labeled. So it's like, yeah, this one, that one. Okay. Introducing pedagogy into the coursework <laughs> oh, at Georgia know, Tech. Right? Shout out to Georgia Tech. Shout out right. to Georgia Tech. All right, so you mentioned that, you know, you were able to found this club for lots of black people in computing. So have you been able to form that same sort of community in grad school? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like there is a black graduate student association. So the grad community is much smaller anyway. So it's definitely, I can count on my hand the number of people in my specific program so yeah. I feel like we all know each other which is really good because we all get along really well but the the BGSA organization is really good about doing events and they have bi bi-weekly meetings and stuff so um meeting people and then I'm in Atlanta I have family in Atlanta I know people in Atlanta so I feel good about the community I have there even though on campus I mean well the BGSA meets and stuff but I feel like grad students are so busy and Mm -hmm. everything so it is harder than it was in undergrad but I feel like I know I travel a lot and (laughs) (laughs) time is just like slips away yes yeah yes so in addition to traveling a lot you are like on fire right now right yeah we've seen you all over yeah the Facebooks and interwebs in photo shoots (laughs) and (laughs) on the on the on the Twitters, just yes, saying on the Twitter Twitters. sphere. So let's talk about your 
TEDx experience. Oh, wow. Yes. Paying it forward with social robotics. What is social robots? Yeah. Social <laughs> robots are robots that are designed to be robots that are purposely designed to interact with humans. Mm. And so not the traditional ones you see in the factories, mm-hmm. building cars or mop not mopping your floors, but they <laughs> can't mop floors. Well, yes, they can. What? Yes, they can. They can. There's one that sweeps and that one that mops. Yeah. Right, That's right, true. right. Shout right, out right. to that. Yes. Whatever so, brand that is. I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> social robots are, when I, the term, when I use the term, when I use the term social robots, it's, I mean, the robots that are meant to hold conversations, that mm-hmm. are meant to interact, that are meant to respond and help and assist in ways that are similar into the ways that humans humans interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so when I did this talk, um, I wanted to make a connection between the way that we grew up with, like, cell phones and how we are so... Look we, at we grew up with we, <laughs> we shout out to the millennials. Right. I mean, I'm a millennial, but I'm like right. a fake millennial. I remember when cell phones uh, did not exist. Correct. And I too. had a track exactly. phone with ten minutes on it. My oh, Nokia. Oh my gosh! Buttons. I actually pulled out my old phone Aww. during the talk at like the beginning. I was like, "Do you remember this? Anybody remember this? I remember oh, wow. this." But I just felt like when cell phones were introduced and the kids who were like exposed to them really early, like me, like in middle school mm-hmm. per se, and just growing up with that. And now when you look at how many people are making apps and all of these cool things that cell phones have evolved to do, it's because they like tankered with them when they were young and they kind of grew up with that technology. Like, you know what? Yeah. I think this would be cool if it could do this, if mm-hmm. it could do that. And that kind of imagination is really potent in young children. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I feel like we're going through that same type of tech revolution with, like, AI right now, and especially with robots. And I feel like some people are so mm-hmm. – there's this stigma around robots. And the movies don't help, and I talk about that <laughs> in the TED Talk. And there's a bit. stigma mm-hmm. around artificial intelligence, And there is too. also a stigma around Because I'm afraid of that. Yes, with, with <laughs> right. reason. I'm, yes. not, saying okay. that, I'm okay. not saying that there yeah. shouldn't be. There definitely should be. And I do some work in um, ethics and AI, mm-hmm. and especially around children. And So I definitely am an advocate, but I'm an advocate with c- caution. Yeah. Caution, yeah. but... Yeah, but like you a, also have like the knowledge of what those things could do if leveraged yes. in the right context, yes. right? Like, and that is something that m- the general public lacks. Yes. So having a conversation like a TEDx presentation where you talk about those things, I think is incredible. Find yeah. her TEDx talk; yes. it is out there on the internet. It is mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. And uh-huh. like I tell people, if you don't know how it works, how could you stop it if it exactly. even were to take over the world, right? Yeah. So, and what about like explaining what AI is and isn't to people who are making decisions like in laws about it? Because I think a lot of people try to make decisions about AI that don't even really know. Yes, which what is, it is a huge problem, and it constantly comes up in a lot of the um, ethics and transparency and explainability mm-hmm. um, conversations. So. When you think about AI, it's been around for a long time. Like, if you think about how long spell check has been in your phone, yeah. that is mm-hmm. AI. People think AI, they think, oh, Siri, and it's new, and it's this thing that <laughs> right. just yeah. came out last week. And like, no, AI has been around for a long time. Yeah. These exactly. principles are not new. When you think about spell check, when you think about 
Um, that little paperclip of Microsoft Word. Yes, uh, like the, the GPS and Google, mm-hmm. how it gets smarter, it learns you. Mm-hmm. And people are like, Google's watching me, it's doing my, <laughs> showing me custom ads. It's definitely ads listening and, to me. It's yes. definitely listening. So there, there are definitely, uh, is definitely a whole lot going on. But when you think about laws and making laws mm-hmm. around this stuff, and if you think about AI in particular, if you think about, well, machine learning in particular, it depends on what it's learning from. And right. We find yeah. that data is so important. But if you look at so many prob- so many areas in the world today, like data is dependent on what goes on in the world, mm-hmm. right? And in so many cases, what goes on in the world isn't necessarily right. So when we... It's or, not or, positive. Or positive. Yeah. It can or, be detrimental. Or yes, yeah. yes. And it may not... The main problem is that it's not often representative enough yeah, yeah. to... Because we're talking about people who have power, influence generally affluence right yes. yeah. who are contributing content to what yes. what's being collected yeah. and yeah. also on the other flip side remember there was this uh there was a large software company who made <laughs> this uh robot this artificial agent that was supposed to learn how to talk from twitter i remember that and basically it learned how to be racist sexist homophobic um what is it anti-sim just every yes. sort they of shut it down too. In, in yes. some, and, and they, they said oh down. well we we tried it out but we tried it on mandarin chinese but guess what they don't have free speech so of course it's not going to learn crazy what? stuff what? so yeah, this very large company, <laughs> this very large company, uh, definitely had to shut that thing down in 24 hours. But getting to what you said, Dierra, like the data is the biggest part of the problem. Having representative data, data that reflects the values of everyone, and yeah. not right. just one subset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, you see, I'm very emotional about this. Uh, yes. AI thing. yes. So, uh, how do you feel about like how that relates to maybe? issues of like national security and things of that nature. Do you think that that's something that we might run into sooner than later? Yes, I do think that it's going to come to a point where um, if you think about everything that has come before AI and what laws have been made to kind of govern those processes, it's always pretty much been successful because law could keep up with it we could make laws even if it takes a couple years nothing was moving fast enough that the law couldn't handle the cases that came up but ai Mm. is moving so fast (laughs) (laughs) like if you every week there's a different startup doing a different thing that's using some type of learning and it's supposed to do this and it can do that and it can do and the accuracy rate is this but there's no Mm -hmm. official governance on Mm -hmm. what is actually good enough right we have these numbers we have these statistics and it's like you, you made this, they made that, and they're using this kind of data and that kind of data. We've never seen anything like this before, right. nothing that grows this fast before. And also, if you think about the U.S. and how protective we are about our security like information, and yeah. information mm-hmm. in general, and the law is really trying, they're trying to catch up now that they realize that, okay, this is, this is, uh, this is a real thing, right? I want to like interrupt you, though, really okay. quickly, because I feel like part of the problem is that we have policymakers who are uninformed right. and don't understand technology yes, like at all. Yes, you saw Congress right. even say we want to know more about what AI is. Which is a we... huge problem. Right. So like then it's, what do we need to be doing as a country mm-hmm. to like address? For the longest, you well, see huge companies like Google and 
others that are basically managing themselves. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, but NSF actually has a science uh, fellows program where it's basically being a science communicator to these people, mm. to yeah, these yeah, lawmakers, yeah. to people with PhDs in computer science to be like, computers, good. <laughs> Bad data, not good. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, kudos to the National Science yeah. Foundation for leading that charge. They can't do everything. Right. Yeah. Right. So, like, how do we as citizens of this country kind of work towards identifying elected officials who have this competency? Should we be sending more engineers to law school or, mm. you know, helping them understand policy so that they can one day take on these roles within our government? I don't know. Just an idea. But, yeah, I definitely yeah. think it will require a, a new breed of um, politicians that have the background needed to be able to assess these problems mm -hmm. equally and fair. What you see now is a lot of politicians trying to learn what AI is, trying to learn these computer science concepts. And you see some CS people that are verging into law. So mm -hmm. you see these people that are kind of pulling from both ends and mm -hmm. hopefully we'll find somewhere in the middle. But I think there are now some different programs at several schools that are starting to target yep. um like policy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tech, yeah, tech, tech yeah. policy or even focusing on tech policy mm -hmm. in general, which I think is a, a great, a great thing to see now because it was kind of just up in the air, people doing what they want type thing for a long yeah. time. So it's nice to see some some legislation coming out of it and some future directions, because as as we get closer and closer and as data is more available in other countries, if you think mm -hmm. about places like China. They have access to all the data they yep, want, yeah, and, yeah. you know, so that might, like we was talking about national security, that could definitely lead to a problem later on. Definitely. But, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. So, dear, one sort of changing gears back to what we were mm -hmm. chatting about before. I really liked your article in Aspen Institute, and you wrote um, this one line that says, like, with AI encompassing so many complex tasks, should there be a central set of metrics? And I'm like, whew, how in the world would one person make a set of metrics for AI that covers, like, all the crazy things people can do? Like, have you started to think, like, what in the world that even could look like? That sounds like NSF funding. Oh, right. my gosh. <laughs> so I really liked your article in the Aspen Roundtable on okay. AI. And um, one particular point that stood out to me was a quote that you had saying, with AI encompassing so many complex tasks, should there be a central set of metrics? And when I read that, I was like, whoa, I would not want to be the person that had to make that. Like, have you started just brainstorming? Like, what would that even look like? Because mm. there's so many things that artificial intelligence can, can be applied to. So, yeah, what what do you think would it, that would, how do you even start? <laughs> what yeah. would that look like? Yeah, I'm reminded of at that at that um round table Peter Peter Norvik who is the director mm -hmm. of research at Google was and he saying, wrote the AI textbook. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he said what would a set of metrics for biology look like? Mm -hmm. Right? Because that's what AI is just as big yeah. A field that has just as many subparts as something as big as biology. And we don't need metrics for the whole AI in general. We need metrics for tasks, specific mm. tasks that what of what AI can do. Now whether we need another body of legislation to cover those tasks or we need we might need something like PETA that handles all animal rights, maybe have mm -hmm. an organization that handles all rights related to AI or something like to advocate for the users or the people affected by the use mm -hmm. of AI? Or should we have a separate 
um, a separate body, uh, like a council mm-hmm. or something that you can take cases related to AI to when something comes up. And those, so that whole conference was about brainstorming where where do we go in the future? What needs to be done? What type of um, structures do we need in order to put some starts to put some regulation in process from a from a from a governmental perspective? But for me, I definitely think one set of metrics won't work because one set of metrics won't apply to everything. You, right. And yeah. after you, have, you can have something that's doing natural language processing that's just recognizing mm-hmm. speech on your on your phone, like automatic text recognition. That might not be as... Inherently malicious. As right. inherently malicious as something that's predicting how long uh, an inmate gets to stay in prison right. or not, yep. right? Or how, how much money you get to loan from a bank or if you mm-hmm. get denied or approved, right? Yeah. That, mm-hmm. Those type of decisions are much more important. Yeah. yeah they and they're not, not necessarily as objective. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which yes. is yeah. what makes the artificial intelligence powerful and dangerous. Yes. Yeah. I have yes. a question for you. Mm-hmm. So back to robots. <laughs> so I teach a class <laughs> that's called uh, Computers in Modern Society. Yes. And we talk about AI, we talk about algorithm bias, but um, we get into a discussion about robot rights. So if we start Ooh. having these humanoid lifestyles, robots that we have, you Take know, it out. doing tasks and things. Take like, it out. Do these robots Shoot have it lives? Down. Like, do they have rights? Like, can you tell the robot? Like, I got into when nope. one of my AI classes in grad school, <laughs> uh, one of the teachers said, "Shoot, robots sit in the back of the bus." And it's like, what? right? Imagine you're on a bus, and like, just literally those sorts of like social justice kinds of questions she gone too far because it's intelligence <laughs> if you argue that the robot is intelligent you know some people think that if you program it to have this Empathy sort of intelligence and, and things that like kind of stuff. right yeah. how do you not how do you prove that it's, that it's so ethical? we kind of had this talk in my cognitive science class and so my main i know we kind of touched on intelligent systems earlier but mm. in georgia tech program you have to choose two focuses under intelligent systems and intelligent systems just mainly means like anything that has ai attached to it embedded into some sort of either embodied or um system that's spread across multiple parts Mm -hmm. and so within that i'm focusing on artificial intelligence and cognitive science and in cognitive science we have a lot of conversations about um where does that what what makes something to be alive Mm -hmm. that it should require rights that it has rights Mm -hmm. per se and then where does like what part what part does consciousness play in play into that right because if robots can robots be conscious can we ever program consciousness because as long as they aren't conscious then they they straggle that line of what is alive and what is not alive yeah because as long as they're not alive Take it out. Right. You whatever, can't. whatever, whatever we define <laughs> alive take it out, to you be. You mean killing the robot, right? Because Look, I mean, I'm not trying to have a Terminator situation <laughs> up in here. Okay. Oh my like we already got drones and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. True. Power yeah. down. Take it out. Power yeah. down. So I mean, we we can simulate emotion. We can simulate empathy. But it's we not. We can make them say all yeah. of these things, mm-hmm. and we can make them do. We could make them appear to feel. Appear but, to feel. Appear right. being the operative word. Right. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, I just so, I am extremely and, and even, and passionate. And even about, in my work, like I've string, I've focused on making these robots appear that they can understand what you're feeling, respond to that, and in order to facilitate a better interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with right. the goal being to benefit the human, in right the human that is supposed to be helping and right. I am. I'm extremely passionate about um, <laughs> taking out robots. <laughs> 
about limiting stuff like that because yeah. I think that, you know, even with like pets, right? Like mm-hmm. we give animals human characteristics, mm-hmm. humanizing them. And they aren't humans, right? right? Like, even with, like, I love my dog. She's amazing. She's, like, the best dog in the world. I don't Mm -hmm. care about your dog, (laughs) right? But at the end of the day, she is an animal. She's Mm -hmm. a wild animal. She is not looking at me like, I love you so much. Like, Mm -hmm. how I feel about her. She's like, where is the food? She's like, thank you for feeding me and giving me shelter. (laughs) And, like, you know, that's pretty much it. Like, Mm -hmm she needs certain things, but she doesn't need like what a human child would need. Mm -hmm. And she can be my dog baby. But at the end of the day, I have to be able to separate. And I, I feel that way about robots. I know you love your robots. I do love my robots, but granted, I also know that they aren't alive and I don't necessarily know if they should have right. I don't know. I feel like there are so many (laughs) humans on this earth who still don't have rights rights before we start to think about um, robots having rights. I um, mean, if something happens to it, we make another one. We can make it exactly like the previous one. Exactly. You can't do that with humans. There'll right. never be another right. person like You can't do that with person. pets either. No. So they're yeah. awesome. But like, anyway. Yeah, I think pets. I think pets deserve rights. I feel like they're like uh, in between humans and robots, right? Like <laughs> some, somewhere in between. <laughs> okay. But, okay. But, if we, if yeah, we put yeah. it, if we make a spectrum. There's a spectrum oh, but in between gosh. somewhere. Cool. I'm glad you agree with me. Well, That's hilarious. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on our podcast today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. where can people find you? Like, if they want to talk more about robots on oh, the yes, interwebs. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Follow me at D Got Robots. <laughs> D Got Robots. On Instagram, D E E G O T R O B O T S. Follow me at Dierra Bryant, all lowercase on Twitter, DierraBryant.com. Where she has LinkedIn apparently the logo Bryant. that's on her shirt that happens to yeah. be pink and green. She has a sparkly pink and green robot with on a her bow. Shirt with for a those bow. of you watching this on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's adorable. It is. So yes, I'm really I'm super girly. Like whenever I go to a robotics conference, I'm always with like pink on. Like you can be girly and be sciencey at the same time. You <laughs> exactly. Know? Like oh, cool story about Nesbic when. <laughs> I was at Nesbic. I remember Juan Gilbert saying that there were, on average, like three. During that year, 2016, there were three black women to graduate with PhDs in CS. Mm, and wow. at that point, and up until I met Dr. Howard, who is my advisor now, I had never had a black CS professor wow. at all. And that's what made me want to be sure I wanted to go into academia. Oh, wow. So. I shout out to the conference. Yeah, shout out to the conference. That, like, lives. made it. Like, I was kind of thinking about it anyway because I was enjoying research. And I was starting to TA as an undergrad. So I was kind of in that mindset anyway. But I was like, what? No. Like, and when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I haven't had a professor. Mm. And I feel like people need to see that, right? Representation is oh, so absolutely. important. And I was yeah. like, yeah. I want to be a professor. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you so much, dear. That was yes. so great. Well, you just made my yes, whole week. Yes, 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 of course. As always, you can find us on our website at where you can also purchase items from our online store. Send us questions via email at askus at modernfigurespodcast.com. The podcast is also on social media. Just search for Modern Figures Podcast. And you can find Kyla and I on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla. And I'm at Jeremy Waysa. Until next time, stay hydrated, moisturized, and protect your peace. peace.